Well, as, as ben, has been mentioned, I have spent this whole last week, Mike and I spent this whole last week at camp with a group of junior hires, sixth and seventh graders to be specific, Holly. You know, they can kind of act crazy, right? Um, and so I, you know, as you can tell, I survived. We both did. Everybody did, all the staff and everything else. And, but an incredible week of camp, really good. And uh, I'm so thankful for all of, of you for praying for Mike and I's safety and, you know, and all of you were praying, right? Yeah? Somebody was. Anyway, I, I really, I had the privilege of being the chapel speaker for the week, among other things uh, that I learned at the last moment, camp and dad and family group leader and all those things. And I, I just have to tell you, though, in the midst of all that, I was very impressed with this group of campers, this group of young people, and um, outside of the silliness, outside of the craziness that junior hires can sometimes have, um, I saw a group of young people who are truly, truly developing hearts for Jesus. And uh, that just excites me. It makes me excited about But in a, I guess, uh, you know, if you'll allow me to share just a little bit here, um, these young people were expected to memorize, there's 35 young people we had, they were expected to memorize um, some, some verses of Scripture a lot of it, and they rose to the task. Um, I think collectively, I think what I heard was that collectively they, they all memorized over 600 verses of yeah. Scripture. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? Sixth and seventh graders. And uh, I just think it's amazing. Um, during chapel, I think that I, I couldn't have asked for a more attentive group. Um, wow, that, that, that says a lot considering that they had to listen to an old guy like me you know, for a speaker, but they were asking questions, and we went to reflection time, and here's these kids, they were just asking all these questions, and, and I just couldn't help but, but to think that, that maybe um, we don't give our young people enough credit for what they can accomplish. It was just an amazing thing, and, and attentive during missions time, uh, uh, that was something they, they raised uh, somewhere. The, um, I know that the final tally was right close to like something like $1,000, and uh, they were doing it for Shiloh Christian Children's ha Ranch. Um, and uh, anyway, we had a number of students that were... Uh, one of the things, I, I just was impressed. These kids were... Um, one of the things that we asked the kids at the beginning of the week, if they saw somebody off by themselves and just, you know, just kind of sitting there and not having any friends and, you know, to go up and to kind of sit down with them and talk to them or get, you know, include them in something. And, and nine, what do they call that game, Mike? Nine? Nine square? It's a thing where it's kind of like a volleyball thing. Hopefully you know what that is. And they got this, this, it's like a, anyway, yeah, you're in this little box that's made with PVC stuff and you push the volleyball up and it goes the next one and, and you can't let it drop in your square. Anyway, get them involved with things like that. And, and there were several students, I mean, a, a great number of them that just actually went and sat down with these young, you know, with one of their peers making sure that they weren't alone and that they weren't having to do it. And I just, I was impressed with that. And all in all, just a, a good week. And uh, for the most part, these young people are just, just being themselves. And that's good, always good. Uh, just freedom to be just who God made them to be, warts and all, you know. But I, I, I couldn't help but think, though, as I've, I've reflected upon that, of where we've been for the, you know, most of this year, looking at the, looking at the book of Mark, looking at this thing called discipleship, uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, 
And I just kept coming back to this one thought as I'm kind of reflecting on the whole week, and that is this, that, that you and I, we reflect who we are. We reflect who we are. I mean, we really do, right? You know that, right? Um, that, 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 that really isn't even a question. You and I, we reflect who we are. What, whatever is internal to you, whatever is, uh, you've become, whatever, you know, that, that's what's visible on the, on the outside. And, and I think that the challenge for all of us as we think about being followers of Jesus is to reflect who we ought to be, who we're becoming, disciples of, of Jesus Christ. And so the question, I think, is, is this, and, and I, had a, I, I thought about this a lot this week, but if people were to look up the word disciple, would they find or would they understand that as one who is a follower of Christ, somebody who has given themselves to the task of following in the footsteps of Jesus? The question would be, would they see your, neck, your word or your name next to that word? Would that describe you? Would, would, would disciple, would follower of Jesus describe the person that you are? Um, if people were to think about what it means to be a disciple, would they think of you? You know, that becomes, I think, the question. One of the texts that I think is so common in the text about following Jesus is, is that opening text in the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to look at a couple of different ones today, but, but I love that because it uses the word follow, um, which occurs, by the way, 90 times in the New Testament. But that term follow, 73 times out of those 90 means to follow Jesus. It, it, it means to be a disciple. It means, you know, this is one of the, the places that that word occurs is in, in verse 16 of Mark chapter 1. And we've seen this before, probably at the beginning of this, when we were in that series. But here's what it says in verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Mark has a favorite word. He, he uses it more often than anyone else uses that word. He uses it all over this book. It's going to occur twice in our text in the next couple of verses, but the very next word that he uses is the word at once, immediately. Um, so look at verse number 18. At once, he says, they left their, le their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Verse 20, without delay, there's that word again, immediately, at once, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, I, I don't know about you, but when I look at this text, I, I just think about at least one of the things that stands out for me is the immediacy of which this thing, that, uh, in which they followed him. At, at once, immediately, without delay, Jesus called and they got up and they walked, they walked away. They left their boat. They left their, that right by the seashore. They left the hired man. They left the father standing there right there in the boat. And they left. And they followed Jesus. And, and just, just to be really honest with you, I don't really connect with that at all. I, I don't. It just seems way too sudden to me. It seems so totally unrealistic. Now, maybe that was you. I don't know. Maybe in your life, Jesus was so real that when he called and he said, follow me, you just immediately dropped everything that you, uh, you know, everything that you were doing and you just said, okay, I'm here. It didn't happen that way for me. I took some persuading 
to be convinced that I should somehow follow Jesus. And now there may be explanations for that. It, it, it could be that this story doesn't come chronologically at the very, you know, very beginning of the life of Jesus. That's certainly a possibility. John's Gospel would even indicate that Jesus had been teaching for quite a while before he gave them this option to follow him. And so it's possible that they had seen Jesus and heard more than, than, we have than we, what we see here recorded in Mark's Gospel. And so the immediacy of this thing you know, maybe doesn't seem quite so striking. Maybe, maybe they were, act they were just culturally more used to that because that's what they did in their days. Uh, in, in their day, there was rabbis. Uh, there were rabbis that would go around and, and gather disciples who would follow them. And, and, and so that wasn't an, an uncommon thing for people just to kind of, you know, attach themselves to this rabbi, to this teacher, and, and, and become one of his learners. In any case, the, the idea of immediacy, it just strikes me because I think more and, more, and more people are, are more like me than they are like them. We take some convincing. Somebody's got to prove to us that following Jesus makes some sense. But the other thing that really strikes me is the totality of the thing. Uh, did, you, did you notice that? I mean, these are fishermen. They earn their living in a boat. And when Jesus says, come follow me, they walk away from the boat. They walk away, they leave their boat on the seashore, they leave their father, they leave the hired men, and they completely walk away from everything that they know anything about in order to follow Jesus. It's just a total following. And that to me is just totally, it's just remarkable. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, says this. I, I think I have the quote up on the, on the screen. He says, Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I, I'm not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to, I don't want to drill a tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self, all of the desires that you think are innocent as well as the ones that you think are wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself instead. My own will shall become your will. Now that describes discipleship as well as the difficulty of it. See, don't let any, anybody ever tell you, um, don't let them kid you into thinking that being a disciple of Jesus is an easy thing. Because it's not. It takes a lot of work. And there's a lot of demands. You know, I think about discipleship as, as a reflection of who I ought to become. I'm almost, I'm always, you know, I'm almost always find myself back in the ninth chapter of the, of the book of Luke, and you can turn there if you'd like. It, it's just one of the most, I think, one of the most demanding texts about discipleship in all of Scripture, but I think it's one that is worth taking a look at. It might even be the one that you might mark in your Bible for future reference, but it's, it's Luke chapter 9. Um, it comes in a context when Jesus is trying to call these men that we have come to know as the 12 disciples, and one of the difficulties about calling uh, 
um, is that he's announcing that he's going to go to Jerusalem and die. And that just doesn't really fit their image of what it means to be a Messiah, and therefore he doesn't fit what they want as a master, and, and they don't want to follow that. So they're traveling along, and they go through a Samaritan village, and uh, the Samaritan village won't have anything to do with Jesus. They don't want to follow Jesus. And so James and John, the two impulsive ones in the group, they just want to know if they can call down fire from heaven on these guys. <laughs> Well, Jesus says, well, that's, you know, I mean, I'm sure he said it a little bit differently, differently than this, but, uh, you know, that's just not the way that you respond to people who want to follow me. You know, you don't just cause their houses to burn down and with them in it. But then immediately after that, we get introduced to this guy that I think just strikes you as, as, as the very kind of person that you think that Jesus would like, I guess. And so look at chapter 9, verse 57. It says that as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, he said, I will follow you wherever you want to go. And, and it just strikes me as the kind of person that Jesus would be looking for and the very kind of person that he would want to, to come uh, after him. Jesus, here I am. I'm ready. Take me. I'm ready to follow you. But notice what Jesus says. It's not the kind of thing that he would expect here. He says in verse 58, he says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have rest, I have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And I sit there and I look at that, and I, you know, it's just not the kind of invitation that you'd think that you'd give to somebody who's just, just come up and said, I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. And he says that. He says, I want to follow you. And, 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 and all of a sudden Jesus says, well, I don't have any place to go. If you come, you're not going to have any place to lay down. And he, he goes on to say to another man there, he says in verse 59, follow me. But the, Lord, but the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one puts who puts his hand to the plow and looks back, is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. This just does not sound like an easy thing. This is not what I expect when I read about discipleship. You know, Jesus is out looking for followers. Everyone who comes, it just seems like he just makes these demands that seem so harsh. They seem almost impossible you want to follow me? That's great. I'll, I, I'm going to take, take away all your sources of security. See, I don't know that Jesus is necessarily saying, you know, you're going to be physically homeless. I suppose that does happen. But I suspect that it's a lot larger than that. I think, I suspect, I think that it seems that when Jesus says that a fox has holes and the birds of the, hair, uh, of the birds of the air have nests, what he's trying to say is that there are some places that you can go where you've been accepted. There are places where you fit in, and he's saying, I'm taking that away. And that, to me, becomes a challenge. The places of security that you might go to. I'm, I'm, I, you need to be secure in me. See, I, I, I don't, I really don't, like the idea of being unaccepted. I don't, I don't want to be homeless in, in the sense of, of having no relationships, of not having any friendships. 
I don't want to go to work and, and have the guy across the counter like, not like me. I don't want to go to school and have my teammates not want to have me on the team. I do not want to deal with family members who don't want me in the house. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you have to be prepared to sacrifice all of the elements that you know as security for me. And as hard as that is, that's, that's the demand. Oh, and by the way, that's not all the demand. Those responsibilities that you feel so strongly about, you know, uh, uh, let the dead go and bury their own dead. Uh, you see, I don't think Jesus is being unkind to a guy that's, that's on his way to a funeral. Because I know that the Jewish custom was that that oldest son, he had to be responsible for his father. This guy could have gone, went home and he could have spent the next 15 years working with his dad, you know, waiting for his father to die so that he could take the rightful job of doing the thing of burying his father. In other words, I want my responsibilities. I, I, I want to do the thing that I want to do until the right time comes, Jesus. Then I'll get, to around, then I'll get around to, to being your disciple. I, I mean, how many of us have any, something like that in our lives? You know, I, I, I know I, I want to be the disciple of Jesus, right? I, I know that I want to follow him, but quite frankly, there's some things that I, I want to do before I get there. And so I'll just hold off being a disciple until I, until I get around to getting all the stuff done that I want to do, and then I'll come follow Jesus. I, I'm not going to become a real committed disciple until I get that out of the way. And Jesus says, you know, you want to be my disciple? You want to come follow me? That's, that's going to take all of the effort. That's going to take all of the energy that you have to put into this thing because it, it, it's a demanding life. And I, I'm, just, I'm just frankly, uh, I'm put out by preachers who, who lie about the Christian life. And you hear this, you hear this all the time. They, they give you this nonsense that if you become a disciple of Jesus that your life is going to be you know, peaches and cream all the time. It's going to be so easy. You're going to be healthy and wealthy and wise. And, well, it's not true. So you read your Bible and you look at the history of the church and, you, and what you discover is that the, the people who, who, who named the name of Jesus and decided to really follow him are people who went through some hard times for Christ's sake. It didn't get, any, it didn't get easier. It got harder. It doesn't take anyone... It doesn't take anything to be a non-disciple. Anybody can walk like the people in the world walk. It takes a person of character, and it takes a person of integrity and dignity, and somebody who's got some, 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 the, the, some oomph to stand up and say, you know, I'm not going to live that way. I'll live like Jesus in this situation. And you know what? You try to be the disciple and you try to live the Christian life and what's the first thing that people do? They pick on the one flaw that they can find in your life and they call you a hypocrite. It's kind of frustrating, isn't it? I, I mean, you're, you're trying to live the Christian life in your home and you're trying to do that you know, with your spouse or your parents or your, your, you know, your neighbors around or whatever, or your friends. The one time that you mess up, what do they do? Oh yeah, I thought you were a Christian. I, I like this here. Um, I don't think I got this up there, but Francis Bacon, he was probably the father of modern science, and he, 
he also tried to live uh, his life as a disciple. Now, he did a terrible job of it. I'm just telling you, that's at least what the history books show. But he said something, and I think it's just it, it, it's, uh, so profound. I, I, I ran into this, and, and it's just a remarkable comment. Here's what he said. Francis Bacon said this. He said, the best of men are like the best of precious stones, wherein every flaw is noted more than in those that are genuine generally foul and corrupted. You hear what he's saying? What makes a precious gem is the fact that it has very few flaws in it. it in, in fact, that, that it, it, it's so, because it's so nearly perfect, you notice the flaw right away. If a stone has all kinds of flaws in it, you don't notice the flaws. But if there's one, only one minor flaw in a wonderful stone, everybody looks at it and goes, oh, see the flaw? And that's exactly what they do to the disciples. They allow them to try to, to live as flawlessly as you know how. And as soon as you make a mistake, they bore and they say, see, see. But I think that what we need to understand is that Jesus doesn't call us to be perfect. Right? He's calling us to be faithful. He's not calling us to be perfect. He calls us to be faithful. He's calling us to live the best way that we can with as much effort that we are able to, um, as we know how, and, and to live as faithfully as we're able to live, because, but, but to, to let Him deal with those flaws. And, and don't let what the world has to say bother us. It's just one more excuse for why they can muster up the courage to try to walk this road that, that you and I are walking. D being a disciple is hard because the demands, I think, are difficult. And in this particular text right here, what we discover is that there are people who, who have a really hard time in following Jesus because it is hard. It's hard. You've heard me say this before, and I, um, I, I tried to look for it. I, I'm trying to remember everything of, of uh, what it was, but... Um, I think you've heard me say this before, but, but for some reason it just kind of popped in my head again this last week and I began thinking about it. But we all know what a vegetarian is, right? Um, you know, somebody who eats only vegetables and fruit and, and you know, no meat, no byproduct, meat byproducts, you know, that kind of stuff. And I, I don't have a problem with that kind of, you know, with that if people choose that to do that. But... There was this person, and I saw this here recently. I don't remember if it was the news. It happened for a camp. So much has happened there. But I was, I was listening to this person talk about that they were a vegetation, a ve vegetarian, but occasionally they like to eat meat. And there's actually a word. Have you you've heard me talk about this before, Pat? Or you just heard somewhere? I don't remember. But anyway, occasionally they like to eat meat, you know. And so they actually have coined a new term, and it's like, it's called flexitarian. Or... <laughs> Okay, so it's uh, semi-vegetarian is what it, you know, part of the definition of it. So they, 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 they're vegetarians, but they, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, but anyway, you know, there are some words, right, that are just self-limiting in themselves. Think about the word unique, okay? I mean, you think about that. People talk about things being unique. They say it's sort of unique or kind of unique or almost unique or very unique and no right I mean I, I, I think you know this but I'm going to tell you anyway the definition of the un word unique 
one of a kind. It can't be kind of or sort of or maybe. It's one of a kind. You're either unique or you're not. And so, if, you know, if you're if you're one if it's one of a kind, how can it be almost or very or or any other kind of a unique? It's it's either one of a kind or it's not. If, if there's two of them, <laughs> they're not unique. Um, if you're a veg if you're a flexitarian, you're not a vegetarian. But the point is, is that is this, and I think you know where I'm going with this. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you follow him. There are no thing, such, there's no such thing as a flexa disciple. Right? Doesn't mean you have to be perfect. Doesn't mean that you won't be flawed. What it means is your heart is heading in the right direction and that your eyes are fixed on the one that you follow. One day, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, Who do men say that I am? And they say, You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem to die. And Peter says, No, you're not. And Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. Wow. And the reason that he said it is because of this comment. You have your mind set on the things of man, not on the things of God. That's a disciple. Someone who has, who makes, every, not somebody who makes every correction or every decision correctly, but somebody who has in mind the things of God, that they have their mind set on the things of God. That's, that's what he calls us to. That's the image that we are to reflect. Someone whose heart and someone whose mind is set on, the, on following Jesus, imperfect as we are. Our heart is right, and that's his call. To make a decision every single day to follow Jesus, to make disciple a word that describes you, that defines who you are as a person who has been forgiven and whose eyes are fixed on Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Father, I... I know that for myself that uh, I claim to be and, and choose to be and, and try to, to be the best disciple that you've called me to be. And, and I just pray that for me and for all of us that, that if people were to, as they look at our lives, that I pray that the first thing that they think about when they see us is, Man, that person, that man, that woman, that person is a follower of Jesus. And, and God, that's what I want. I want them to see uh, you just shining brightly through my life. I pray that as a church, as a, as a group of people who love you, that that would be true of every single one of us. That the impression that people would get, not just when they think about us individually, but when they think of New Life Christian Church, they would say to themselves, those people follow Jesus over there. And that's the kind of reputation that we want, not just, not just here in the church, but in this community and in our individual lives as we um, seek every day just to follow you in the best way that we can. God, no one, no one, no, you don't ever, you don't say that we had to be perfect. But God, we just, we just keep trying every day to follow you, whatever you say, whatever you do, 
whatever it is that you want. So I pray that you help us to do that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you.